Hi from Prague, and thank you for inviting me. Sato's meditation on death, which are the theme of this paper, are generally studied as an exemplary lesson in existentialism, and therefore as a thing of the past. In philosophical discussion concerning death, Sato's contribution, although commented on abundantly, is overshadowed by the theories of Heidegger and Leibniz. My aim today is to offer a new reading of Sartre's take on death and reconsider his place in the discussion. Firstly, I will argue that despite his self-presentation, it's not very fruitful to compare Sartre's concept of death with that of Heidegger, as each of the philosophers grounds his concept in radically different presuppositions. Secondly, I will argue that regardless of the of the absence of any explicit reference, Levinas' concept of death is but a radicalization of Sartre's concept. In order, in order to rethink Sartre's position in the contemporary discussion on death, I will defend the following thesis. Rather than in his criticism of Heidegger, Sartre's account of death succeeds as a response to the questions inherited from Husserl. This interpretative approach will then allow me to reevaluate the existing existing readings of Sartre. I will show that his philosophical attitude towards death does not make him a 20th century's Epicurean. On the contrary, I will argue that Sartre's reflections on death are motivated by the inquiry into the manner in which we relate to our death while we are still alive. My interest here is, however, not self-serving. During this hollow, inhospitable year, death has once again for a moment, become a part of the global discourse. And so it would not hurt to think a little about the philosophical presuppositions of the current understanding of death, as well as its consequences. Although lying in a bit of dust, Sartre's analysis can be of a particular relevance in the current crisis. Allow me to begin with what Sartre's meditation on death are famous for primarily, with the polemic against Heidegger. The chapter, My Death, in Being a Nothingness, contains one of the harshest criticism that Sartre addresses to Heidegger's philosophy. Nonetheless, I argue that the entire polemic can be reduced to a single philosophical conflict. According to Heidegger, my death belongs a priori to the fact of my existence, because it constitutes the temporal meaning of this existence. In other words, my death is certain, it awaits me since my birth, and I'm ceaselessly getting close to it by using of my time. Therefore, as Heidegger famously puts it, my being in the world is being towards death. Sartre, on the contrary, sees death as an empirical fact that is completely contingent to the constitution of my subjectivity, a fact that belongs to my situation in the world. Death comes from the world merely to end my lifetime. Therefore, for Heidegger, my death is the almost possibility of my existence to which I relate in one way or another, as long as I exist. For Sartre, my death is merely something that can happen to me in the world. If Sartre then reduces the critic to Heidegger's claim that my death is my possibility, he does not interfere with the presupposition of Heidegger's concept, but merely with its conclusions. Sartre also concludes that if my death were my possibility, it would oblige me to project its future disguise. We can illustrate the notion he criticized in a short example. One day, I realized with clarity that I will soon or later die. I cannot rest. I contemplate constantly my own mortality. At the same time, I'm well aware that many philosophers live a long life, unless they have succumbed to madness first. I therefore decide to become a university professor. 
Should I be successful in making my project a reality? I will desire to also build living memories to my victory. I will strive to start a family and to bring my progeny into the world. These plans will give me hope that I will die and all distinguished men sur surrounded by grandchildren and my books. My death thus crowns my life. Simultaneously, this life gives my death its particular meaning, and in doing so, strips death of its dreadful nature. One does not struggle if she wishes to criticize such a notion. Yet neither is, is it difficult to disagree with Sartre's critique of Heidegger. In understanding my own death, as strictly speaking, my possibility that I can never realize, I do not project a single image of my death. On the contrary, I'm confronted with the singular fact of my existence, appearing to me precisely in the light of my own death. This is why Heidegger chooses a specific term for this authentic self-understanding in facing one's own death, by use of which he strictly differentiates the grasp of possibility of one's death from the grasp of all other possibilities which we can project and also realize. The German term is for Laufen, for running to a possibility as a possibility. Such criticism is then easily refuted. Nevertheless, we have not interfered with the philosophical presupposition of this, of his concept of death either. This is simply because the fundamental question has still not been asked. Why does Sartre, since the very beginning and in direct opposition to Heidegger, understand death as an empirical fact? I argue that here it is much more fruitful to read Sartre's analysis in the context of Husserl's reflections on death. While writing Being a Nothingness, Sartre could access but the two of Husserl's remarks on death. Both in Cartesian Meditations, paragraph 61 and 64. The vast majority of, his, of Husserl's manuscript concerned with the problem of death has only become accessible to wider public during this century. First, through the publication of his late text on the constitution of time, the so-called sea manuscripts. Secondly, in the latest volume, of Husserliana titled Grand Probleme der Phenomenon. Although Sartre could not study Husserl's reflections on death, their shared epistemological and ontological starting point, i.e. the self-consciousness of our subjectivity, forces them to arrive at the same conclusions. Concerning the problem of death in particular, Sartre, just like Husserl did a decade earlier, grounds his position in the simple fact that I can never experience my own death. As long as I live, I only experience the death of others, and it is from them that I learn about my own. Death, therefore, appears as an event that occurs in the shared world as an objective fact. In one of his late manuscripts, Husserl writes, I quote, my death as an occurrence in the world can only be constituted for me if I have experienced the death of others in the form of bodily organic decay and dissolution. The first constituted death is the, is the death of others. End of quote. In Being of Nothingness, Sartre states that, and I quote, we should not know our death if the other did not exist. It would be, in fact, the simultaneous disappearance of the for itself and of the world, of the subjective and of the, ob of the objective, of the one who gives meaning and of all meanings. End of quote. My death, an event that happens to me in the world, is therefore an event that is transcendent to my own subjectivity, accessible to me in my reflection. This is why in another manuscript, 
to sell rights. I quote that death is not in any way an existence occurrence in I am the transcendent of ego, but an event which takes place in the world of man, the constituted world. End of quote. We then read in being a nothingness, and I quote again, death is in no way an ontological structure of my being, at least not in so far as my being is for itself. End of quote. My death that ends, my consciousness presents, however, a limit problem for phenomenological description. Husserl called that the limit of the constitution of all consciousness life. Sartre speak of death as of the external limit of our freedom, i.e. spontaneity of self-consciousness. Husserl undergoes various attempts to reconstruct the limit state in which the subject irreversibly loses all consciousness, and by doing so, he transforms the problem of death into the problem of the state of death. He, in fact, answers the question of what does it mean to be dead. Sartre, on the contrary, remains concerned with the problem of death itself and inquires how we relate to our death as to the limit of our subjectivity and how by doing so, we make it to be that limit, i.e. a limit situation. What leads Sartre to the issue of death is his reinterpretation of Husserl's concept of subjectivity, which he begins to work on already in his first philosophical publication, today a classic, The Transcendence of Ego. By arguing that the unity of my consciousness is already guaranteed by the unity of meaning of the world, the world of which I'm conscious, conscious Sartre refuses Husserl's concept of transcendental ego as a useless hypothesis. He thus gets rid of the problem of the immortal, the pure ego, which has to last even when deprived of all its consciousness as it loses its body. My psychological ego, mortal according to self, emerged for Sartre only as an object of my reflection, i.e. a psychological construct, which I produce when I look at myself through the eyes of others. Therefore, if I grasp my my psychological ego as mortal, then I hypothesize my mortality and grasp it analogically to how others conceive it. My subjective is then, according to Sartre, my irreducible conscious presence in the world, which is at the same time ceaselessly being transformed into my immutable facticity. I also ceaselessly assume my facticity in my projects of myself. Therefore, I am for myself as a self-conscious being. My subjectivity is, the, is thus the ontological structure of my freedom, nothing more. The moment of my death ends my presence in the world and metamorphoses my life into immutable past, and thus into effect of the world and of the life project of others. To me, my death is, as long as I live, epistemologically as well as ontologically transcendent. Yet it is only as long as I live that it has any meaning to me. A fundamental question hides behind Sartre's reflections. How can we relate to an event that fully transcends our lives, yet is of fatal consequences to it? For Heidegger, who presupposes a relation to our own death since the very beginning, such a question does not arise, and who settled does not pose it. Our own death is a future event to us as long as we are alive. We usually relate to future events by expecting them and therefore preliminary determining, i.e. anticipating or projecting them. 
We can also expect our own death. If we are seriously ill or hurt, we anticipate an early death. In life-threatening situations, we anticipate a tragic death. In most cases, though, we imagine ourselves dying of old age, therefore we anticipate the so-called natural death. But this can also come abruptly, suddenly, without any anticipation. However, the possibility of an, of an unexpected death, the possibility that our deaths can come at any time, is inseparable from how we relate to it. To us, our own death is therefore not exhausted by our anticipations, but it is essentially indeterminate. The indeterminateness of death has been described already by Heidegger, but Sartre turns into the key motive. I will not interest, interest myself here in the nuances of Sartre's analysis, nor in the examples that he uses to illustrate the indeterminate character of death. Rather, I will focus briefly on the rarely explicit considerations hidden behind his analysis. Using the empirical experience of death as a starting point leads us, as it does Sartre, to two main preconditions for its possible coming. Excuse me, the vulnerability of our bodily constitution and destructive influences of our surroundings to which we are, as bodily beings, constantly subjected. We can argue that the coming of our death is generally caused by a situation in which the intensity of destructive influences imposed externally on our body overpowers all capacities of our bodily self-preservation. As bodily beings in the world, we are, however, not capable of noting each and every particular cause that could lead to our death. There's always the possibility that we will be a victim of an accident or that we will succumb to a sudden physical weakness or a symptomless illness. Death can, and it often does, take us by surprise even while we are reasonably anticipating it by, by coming earlier or even late. As long as we are alive in this world, our death never fully ceases to be unexpected and indeterminate. On the top of that, our death differs categorically from all the other unexpected events which, we, which can take us by surprise during our lifetime since we cannot ever live through our own death. Therefore, all the attempts to anticipate and determine it in advance are in a sense desperate, as Sartre argues. It's nevertheless in each of these attempts the death appeared to us, and here Sartre used the notion of Jaspers as a limit situation. This is where the true problem arises. If our death is beyond all our expectation, expectations and projects, how, how do we then relate to this limit situation? Sartre's first response is rather iconic. We can, but count on our, on our own death. But what does this mean precisely? My first interpretation is as brief as Sartre's response. If we are to count on our own death, then what we are actually counting on is the fragility of all our expectations, and thus the fragility of all the projects to which we put our lives. Yet, we can find out more from Sartre. The fundamental fact that we cannot experience our own death does not imply merely that we experience but the death of others. What also follows is the fact that others experience our own death. Sartre dedicates a considerable space to the analysis of the various ways in which death is reflected in our relationship with others. However, I will focus solely on the manner in which the others are reflected 
in our relation to our own death. It turns out, firstly, that when we anticipate our death and project it, we are actually Im imagining how others will experience it. We can very well envision dying alone, in silence and solitude. Nevertheless, by excluding others from our dying, we implicit implicitly take their perspective on our death. But even when we do not try to project our death, we still count on leaving this world behind. Despite having left it, we still remain there for others as those who have died. It will then be others who will either keep our memory alive or let us fall into oblivion. To die therefore means to be at the mercy of others and let them decide the meaning of our lives. In counting on our own death, we, don't, we do not merely count on the fragility of all our life projects, but also on the decisive, decisive role others have in judging their meaning. Furthermore, to count on one's death is to count on it ceaselessly. If we count on the fact that our death can come at any moment, then we count on it ever since we have become sufficiently aware of it, until the very instant of its coming. According to Saad, it is from others that we learn of our own death. He does not specify neither how nor when does it happen. We do not, however, learn of our own mortality exclusively nor primarily by induction, based on immediate or mediated experience with death of others. Rather, we become aware of our death progressively from our early age, thanks to the care of others, especially our loved ones, for our survival. We also encounter our mortality in the world, which we inhabit with others and whose social organizations addresses us also from an early age as mortal beings. Finally, we are reminded the more, the more the older we get of our mortality by cultural heritage passed on for generations, with its works, symbols, and institutions. We, have count, we count on our death because since we were born, Others, along with the world that we inhabited, count us in as mortals. All the possibilities this world has in store for us are therefore possibilities of mortal beings. To count on our own death is to project our lives in this world as mortals. In other words, in other words, as I have argued, to count on the fragility of our life projects and on the fact that others will judge the meaning of our lives. Therefore, our own death, inexperienceable and unexpectable, to quote Sartre, haunts us in the very heart of each of our projects. Of quote. We count on our death accordingly to the project we have chosen. We either accept it, deny it, or rebel against it. Yet, since we can never live through our death, Sartre can also argue that with each project that we put our life to, we also, in one way or another, escape death. It would be premature, however, to see this as proof of Sartre's Epicureanism. The life projects through which we escape death are themselves haunted by it. What else could this mean but that in all projects in which we realize our life, we are more or less vividly conscious that we are still alive? Since the late 40s, the philosophical potential of Sartre's reflections on death is further developed although again opposition to Heidegger without any reference to Sartre by Emmanuel Levinas. According to him, our death, which we can never experience and which remains beyond all our anticipations, presents the exterior of our subjectivity, 
as it does for certain beings in nothingness. Levinas also argues that death is radically other to our interiority, just like Sartre does in notebooks for ethics. Moreover, moreover, Sartre's claim that we can merely count on our death, which I have developed in this paper, is reformulated by Levinas, who argues that in relation to our death, we have nothing left but our patience. While for Levinas, patience constitutes temporal meaning passivity or subjectivity, it's directly connected to our affectivity. Therefore, and just like I have shown while interpreting Sartre, we are exposed to the, to the eventuality of our death through our bodily presence in the world. This is why Levinas sees physical suffering as the fundamental experience that we have for our own mortality. Nevertheless, the primary interest for Levinas lies in our experience with death of others. Strictly speaking, even, even this death is impossible for us to experience. In the face of the death, we see but an expression of the fact that the other has passed away and has left this world behind. It is then precisely by being affected by this passing when we feel the touch of death and that of the radical other. As a whole, Levinas' meditation on death radicalized Sardis' inside the death, given to us as an empirical fact, in fact, transcends all empirical facts. Death analysis of both French phenomenologists are therefore, in the end, an attempt to think through the unanswered questions of Husserl's legacy. This subtle academic discussion, quiet and inconspicuous, leads none, nevertheless to notorious conclusions. If death is understood as contingent event, that we can neither anticipate nor live through, then it is an absurd event. This is what Sartre famously concludes about death, which is, however, not a dated outcry. Death is not absurd in the same way as our efforts or a situation can appear to us, i.e. absurd in the light of practical projects to which we dedicate our lives, and the light of particular interpretation of the world which we associate with those projects. Death is in principle absurd, i.e. meaningless, because its only meaning is that it suddenly ends all our meaningful projects as well as those that lack meaning. Today, more than ever, are we struck by the strange actuality of these reflections. When death, understood as a contingent and unexpected threat, takes the guise of a concrete threat, itself also contingent and unexpected, the threat of a virus, then such an understanding of death becomes explicit. In the world of pandemic, which is also the globalized world, we are therefore confronted with the absurdity of death. In this world, all our projects appear explicitly as fragile and at the same time subjected to the sometimes well thought out, sometimes a bit premature judgment of others. However, if death is understood as a contingent event that we can neither anticipate nor live through, it is also an event that remains a mystery to us. This is what Levinas famously concludes about death. Absurd, mysterious death, death that we cannot apprehend in our life projects and that we cannot imagine, as it defies all our life experiences. Facing such a death is patient and we count on the fragility of all our projects 
truly only got left. I argue that our own death does not merely defy our anticipation and our imagination. Death also provokes and thus engages our thinking. The thought of the end of our lives in this world does not provoke us, however, with, with its imprehensibility, but with its clarity and distinctness. Today, I cannot further develop this argument. I will therefore finish with a question. It's not precisely the clarity and distinctness, is it not precisely the clarity and distinctness with which death penetrates our thinking to question our lives that do not spare any of us from time to time the thought of our own death? Thank you for your attention.